What's up, everybody? This is Young Jeffries on the Keeping It Real podcast. I'm with uh, Dylan Mapes. <laughs> and then we have our uh, special guest. You guys want to introduce yourself? Jason Vell. And Mr. Walker. I mean, I'm here and representing Madison. Yeah. You guys want to, before we start, you guys want to like introduce yourselves and like what you guys do currently now? Yeah, so I'm a traveling minister. This is Jason talking. I'm a traveling minister, and then I also substitute teach as I have time, and that's what I do. And I'm Mr. Walker. I teach science uh, full-time, freshman all day, every day, in and out. We also, me and Jason and I, do a club called FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, so shout out to them, um, Tuesday mornings, 715, Madison. Um, and I'm also a youth pastor. I was at Crossroads for a bit, and now I'm at a church called Church Requel downtown at the Five Way Light. So I'm a student minister there where I do that every single Sunday. Sweet. You got a first question? Okay, first question. Uh, whoever wants to answer it first, go ahead. But before you received Christ, you lived and thought, what way? And what did your life revolve around? And what was most important to you? Oh man, it was different. I mean, I was, I was different when I was, especially like a young adult, I was into video games and friends and even in some ways, um, validation. Like I always searched for, um, other people's approval. Yeah. I wanted to succeed at things. I wanted to be the best at things. I just was striving for this, like longed for this filling up of something I didn't know was there which later on I realized was just this God-sized hole that I have that can only be filled up by him. So I was so worried about being successful. What did successful look like? How much money did I make? How many friends did I have? Did people like me, right? Was, um, was I successful in everything that I did? Those are the things that were the most important to me then. It's like approval from your peers. Right, right, exactly. Anybody, anybody, anybody I could get approval yeah. from. Jason, what about you? Yeah, for me, so my life is pretty much 50% uh, law-breaking, rebellion, and transgression, and sin. And then uh, the last 26 years, I've been living for Jesus. But before I met Jesus, I was a success addict. And uh, I, when I met Jesus, I was a professional firefighter. And I was just addicted to progress and success my diet had to be perfect my body had to be perfect just i was i was the youngest fire captain in the history of the mansfield fire department the fastest promotion from date of hire to fire captain and i was just driven anything that had to do with getting more power success money i was driven and uh and like mr walker just said I was searching for something, but I didn't know what, and I never had peace. And when I got a pay raise or a promotion or anything that I thought was rewarding, getting a new boat or a new truck or taking another trip to Cancun or Lake Tahoe and nothing was rewarding. And I was always searching and striving for, for something to fill that void, which 26 years ago, I didn't know what that was. And so I was just addicted to uh, success. And uh, that's, that's what it was like. Can I add to that? Like, I kind of feel like what you said, like you get in those moments, it's almost like Christmas. It reminds me of Christmas. Like we build up and we build up and like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait till the promotion or 
till the vacation or till the boat or whatever. And then when you finally get it right, or achieve that thing you thought would satisfy you, yeah. it's so disappointing. Like Christmas day, we look forward to it. We decorate, we sing about it, we wait for it. And then Christmas day comes and you're like, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's it. This yeah. is, we, we made all of this yeah. build up about that. And that's kind of what yeah. those empty things are, what they feel like uh, to add to his, like, you know, looking for security and peace of mind and finding happiness. I never found it either. Like before, Christ and before God, I was searching for it. And, and it didn't matter. Like you said, you're the youngest. I was the youngest district manager of Blockbuster. I had all the success. Our district was number one and everything. I was like, yeah, so what? Like it never was. I stroke like every day it consumed me. I want to be the best. I want to be the best. And then when I was the best, I was like, yeah. It's so good for a quick. Yeah. yeah. You know what the number one people that have lots of money want? More money, right? Yeah. Because they try to fill their lives with this Thing that doesn't yeah. fill them and yeah. it's just so disappointing when it's you actually get it yeah. to get it yeah. yeah like it doesn't do what you think it's going to do for you so it's like when you guys were trying to strive for success and gain things on this earth you just didn't really find the time for christ and time find the time for god when you were younger uh in my case i was really i didn't want to be bothered by god because i knew that it would affect my lifestyle yeah. and you know you can't uh smuggle steroids home from Mexico and live for God. I knew that much. And so I, in my case, I would have been a type of person if someone had said, Hey, do you believe uh, in God? Yeah. Father, son, Holy spirit. Yeah. All that. I believe that, but there was no part of me that wanted a Lord in my life. And, uh, and it's, uh, there's a big difference between, you know, having that mental, yeah, I believe in God versus, you know, I surrender. Yeah. Walking. Yeah. Yeah. There's a night and day difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jason, I I totally agree. Like I knew of him, but I wasn't about to live my life for him. I wasn't about to change the things that I wanted to do. I wasn't going to sacrifice. I wasn't going to volunteer at my church. I wasn't going to tithe. Like I wasn't going to do the things that I knew I'd have to do. Now I wasn't like, you probably knew more of him than I did. I just had a little bit of my childhood, but like I wasn't, like I wasn't about, I didn't think I, to be frank, blunt at that time, I didn't think I needed him. Like I was like, wait, I've got, I'm successful. I'm married. I have this great job. I have this great life. What do I need God in my life for? Like everything's going great. Right. Except, you know, the whole thing where I couldn't sleep and felt empty inside. Other than that, that, things are great. Other than that, things are great. Other than never being in peace, having constant mental turmoil, everything everything was was wonderful. Right. I didn't need God. Yeah. On the outside, I looked great. Isn't that true? About it. Most of the time, most of the people that look the most put together have the most brokenness inside. Yeah. And uh, how did you guys look for security, peace of mind, and happiness when you were walking in the path of God? For me, it was, it was, the next big purchase or the next big promotion. It was, it was always the next big thing. I, I, I derived my identity from my titles. Um, you know, whether it was youngest fire captain or big ripped tough man, um, just got derived all of my satisfaction from my image. And like I said, I'd never found peace of mind or security. I never felt secure. You know, there's always, it's, I try to tell students this sometimes that they're so consumed with, you know, being athletic or 
their looks or their appearance. There's always somebody stronger. There's always somebody better looking. There's always somebody more successful. Like you may be the district manager of Blockbuster today, but somebody's going to overtake you. So like putting any stock or any value in that really doesn't mean anything. You know, the things of this earth will decay away and rust away and go away. So like you can be really proud of that. But at that time, I still knew like, okay, so like next month will be the next district manager of the year. You know, like it's, it's replaceable. It's, it's not lasting. All right. So how did you receive Christ? And like, when was the first time you heard the gospel? Man, I, this is Mr. Walker again. I, I, so I tried to think about this question because it was when they say that seeds are planted throughout your life, they definitely are. So I can remember as young as five years old being at my grandma's house and having pictures of Jesus all over and crosses and her talking about it. I remember as a kid going to my friend with my friend to church. I remember actually even going on a missions trip to New York City with my friend's church once. Pretty cool opportunity. But like, like I was just there. Like it was almost like, um, I, not an out of body experience, but it's almost like you're there, but you're not there for the reason that everybody else is there. Like I didn't feel the things that other people felt. I didn't have the relationship. I was just doing the motions like, oh, cool. We're helping people or, oh, cool. They're talking about this guy that died for me. That's awesome. Or, oh, neat. There's this cross where this guy hung for me and died for me. Oh, that's cool. Like I didn't feel it. I didn't understand it. It didn't connect with me. I didn't allow it to connect with me. I was almost like, like they say in the Bible, like I had scales over my eyes and my heart, my heart was hardened. Like I heard the same message, you know, in my early twenties and it totally changed my life. But when I was a kid, it didn't, it didn't have any, I didn't let it, I didn't have an open mind to it. I was, or as it says in the Bible, like I wasn't ready for it. Like I wasn't, my heart was hardened. I wasn't ready for it, but I can see that all of those things throughout my life growing up made a huge difference. Like they, made me realize later on that they were just seeds that were being planted. So then when it was introduced, I was like, oh yeah, I know about this. This is what we've been talking about. And then I kind of liken it to like math sometimes when your teacher's teaching you and teaching you and you're doing all the work and it's all right. You have no idea why you don't understand <laughs> how it works. But then that one day you look at the problem, and you go, oh, I'm doing this because of that. Like now I understand it, like not just emotions, but really understanding it. That's kind of how it, how it happened with me. Yeah, for me, I, I know I heard the gospel message multiple times before I ever it ever hit me the right way. And I, gosh, I, I'm sure I heard it in kindergarten because I went to a Christian school and had heard it periodically throughout my wife, my life. But it wasn't until when I was, I think I was 26 years old and one of the firemen that um, I was his captain. His mother died in a car wreck. And so I went to the funeral. My wife and I went to the funeral out of respect. And the people at the funeral were really happy and excited because the lady who died was now with Jesus. And she's got this brand new body and she no longer has access to sickness and sorrow and suffering. And the people were really excited and I'm looking around like, wow, they're really into this. And all the funerals I had been to were the sadness competitions where who can look like they're grieving the hardest. But these people were celebrative and it just hit me in just the right way. And, and le after that, I said to my wife, I said, hey, you're not going to believe this, but we need to start going to church 
And then from that moment on, we weren't, um, well, I wasn't gently born again. I mean, it was, it was literally a perfect 180 degree turnaround. It was literally one weekend, um, Slayer concerts, fist fights, uh, steroids, uh, getting drunk, and then just feeling inside of me, I needed to have a, a bonfire. We lived out in the middle of the woods and I needed to have a bonfire and get out all my Megadeth, mega Slayer, all my evil music and, and just burn everything up. And so it was that that was the time for me. And and obviously God had been drawing me to himself throughout my life. And just that that was my time. And, and at that funeral, everything was different. And uh, Jason, I think it's crazy you say that, because like when I'm at a funeral, I'm like, why are we talking? About yeah. The same? Like I never looked at that as an, a, a conversion opportunity. Yeah. Like, right. Like yeah. a moment where somebody would be like, aha, this is different. I'm like, yeah, we know. Yeah. Amazing yeah. grace. How sweet yeah. Sound, blah, 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 blah. Like get me through the funeral. Oh, like yeah. as a Christian now, I'm like, okay, how many times are we going to read the same yeah. passage about death? But it's amazing to me that that like really hit home to you and what they were saying. Oh, and yeah. They were acting even more. And I don't know how many funerals I've preached since then. It would be it would be, you know, several dozen funerals. And, and I always think, wow, who is going to be the next mm -hmm. um, wild, rebellious, sinful, fistfight, drunkard, success addict to, you know, literally go from Saul of Tarsus attitude to Paul the Apostle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went from being as selfish as you can get to now, like all I can think about is helping others. Who can I serve? How can I help? And it's just, it's weird to me, you know, 26 years of selfishness, um, you know, worshiping the Trinity of me, myself and I, and then finding out Jesus was real. And I was just like, oh, oh my gosh. And, and when I got born again, I mean, I was a Bible addict. Like my wife was like, wow. And she got born again. Maybe she might've done a 179 and I did a 180, <laughs> but, uh, but she was like, she was like, what happened? Yeah. You know, because we had been together probably eight years at that time and yeah. we knew each other well. But I mean, I, you know, reading the Bible six, eight, ten hours a day wasn't nearly enough. I, I mean, I was like a Bible addict. It would be, I don't know, 15, 16, 18 hours a day. Just wow. just. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. And it's and it's been 26 years of that. I just. But, and it's all him. I don't, you know, yeah. he made me, I, you know, I just, uh, I couldn't be more excited for Jesus and sharing him with others. And it's all I can do when I'm in a grocery store, not to go ask for the microphone to make a quick announcement. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, that's, that's how it worked out for me. Sweet. So when and why did you begin to feel positive about Christianity? Oh man, um, probably my early to mid twenties. And it was those moments where, you know, as Jason and I were talking about earlier, it was those moments earlier where like, I finally started to feel satisfied about something. You know what I mean? Like you talked about your unquenchable desire to read the Bible. Like I would pray and I'd be like, oh, that's the feeling. Like that's a piece of the heaven that I've been missing. You know, the 
the awards and the accolades and the and the even the, the approval of others never even came close to even just having one prayer to God or even just worshiping at church. Like the way I would feel when I would be worshiping at church and how it would just give me that sense of this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what it feels like. This is that feeling that I'm looking for. And it's not just the emotional rush of the moment because we can all get overtaken by the emotional rush of the togetherness and we're all worshiping the same God and you hear all the same voices, but actually just picturing myself there with God and being approved of by the most important person that I can get approval from. Because as much as, you know, your employees and your peers and friends can give you approval, there's nothing like being able to feel in the presence of God and him smiling and just being proud of the person that you've now become, you know, tithing, singing, praying, praying over people, um, leading others to God. Just that is like, that is what I was looking for my whole life. The God-sized hole that I had, it could only be filled by him and not by the stuff of this world. So it's probably, you know, long-winded answer for mid to early 20s when I finally, and it wasn't, I didn't have the all at once moment. Mine was like gradually over the course of a couple of years that I was changed. Well, I shouldn't say that I'm still changing, but the big changes that I made in my life. Yeah, I think in, in my case, I probably always had a, what I would refer to as a positive view of Christianity. Like I never considered a different religion. I, I probably always had like a positive view of it. But I think I probably knew that it would cost me something, that I would no longer be my own Lord. And I think I avoided it. I avoided it until that funeral and then it just hit me. It was like, Jesus is real. The Bible's true. And you better get on it. And from that moment on, I just, I mean, I, yeah, I think about Jesus 24 um, seven. And Jason, uh, don't you think the number one reason that people want to question the Bible and God being real is because they don't want to change. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. I think 100% yeah. more than yeah. anything else, they want to attack yeah. the truth of the Bible yeah. because if I can prove that the Bible is wrong or invalid or has holes in it, then I don't have to change my life. I can keep doing the things that I'm doing without consequence. Yeah. I can't imagine how many atheists I've talked to that when they finally, when they finally felt comfortable admitting it kind of goes something like this. Okay. There probably is a God, but Christians represent him in a horrible way. And I don't want any part of that. And, um, and, and they know that there's a certain, there's usually a pet sin in, in people's lives. And, and a part of them knows if I surrender my life to Jesus Christ, this pet sin is going to have to go and they're not ready. They're not willing to give up that pet sin, which is so backwards because as soon as you surrender your life to him, he's like, Oh, I'll help you with that. And uh, it's just amazing. Just, just, I think it's amazing that people think that following the rules of the Bible makes you a slave. Oh, when in real reality, yeah. you think about the drugs and the alcohol, yeah. like I, Thank God I never had drug or alcohol problems. I had other problems, trust me. But yeah. like when actually you're a slave to those things, you yeah. can't get enough of yeah. those. 
they can't give you enough steroids. They yeah. can't give you enough. There aren't enough Megadeth concerts to attend, right? Yeah. yeah. You're a slave to that stuff. And it is so unfulfilling. Like, yeah. People don't want to it accept is empty. that. Yeah. 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 They're a slave to the drugs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I've done some uh, chemical dependency counseling over the years. And my, my wife and I counsel a variety of different humans nowadays. Everything from suicidal combat Marines to people with terminal illnesses, marriage issues. And um, it, it's amazing how many people are enslaved to something. And if they would just surrender everything to Jesus, he would he would literally partner with them and take it away when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, he means that. Yeah. And he's the only he's the only answer. There, there is no other answer than Jesus. And, and he succeeds 100 percent of the time. Even, you know, what I find crazy about that is the devil has gotten us for a couple, few thousand years now with the same exact sin. Right. Like, I mean, nothing is new. I mean, there's a new form of it, right? We have cell phones with easier access to the sin, but like, it's the same sins that tripped up people thousands of years ago. The devil's had to create nothing new. Yeah. And we still fall to it over and over and over. And he knows exactly what we go through and exactly how we fall. And he's there to help us. But people sometimes would rather look at it and say, well, I'd rather be in this because that's what I know. It's comfortable to them. Yeah. 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 And I, it, it it's kind of like, and I don't know how common this is nowadays, but when, when I was younger and I, I worked at the hospital and, and for whatever reason, I was never addicted to nicotine. And, uh, and I remember like if I had to do hospital work, like outside or whatever, like take the trash out or whatever. And I remember like it could be negative five degrees and there would be people standing outside smoking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And I just and I don't mean to pick on nicotine like Mm -hmm. that's worse than some other, you know, uh, outside. But yeah, but it's like if you were not addicted, you would not be standing outside in the negative five shaking like that. And uh and that's how that's how bondages are. But, um, you know, whether someone is whether their bondage is greed or pornography or alcohol, uh, gambling, what whatever someone's bondage is, um, you know, real. Paul says you are a slave to whatever calls the shots, whatever has enslaved you. Yeah. yeah. Would you say he, um, you only get tempted on your flaws? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Satan has been studying humans for thousands of years. So he sends the temptations to you that he thinks will most succeed based on, um, your you know, be- yeah. based on yeah. you. He's been studying you and he knew your parents and your grandparents and your greats. And, you know, and the Ten Commandments even say, you know, I will visit to the third and fourth generations the iniquities of the of the fathers. And so, uh, yeah, Satan's a master tempter. And, um, you I would know, also but- say though too, that I've, I've always been careful in my life because I've, I got, I've gotten myself in trouble. I would say things like, 
I can't believe they do that. I would never. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I would never yeah, commit that. that sin. Yeah, oh, the devil's that. like, oh, yeah, he likes let me that. roll up my yeah. sleeves and see what yeah. I can throw at yeah. Mr. Walker yeah, right he now. He likes and, that. Yeah. And, and, sure, and sure enough, within a week, a month, a year, I'm like, I can't believe I just yeah. did that. Of course yeah. I can. I'm the one that said yeah. I would never fall to that yeah. sin. Yeah. So, yes, he knows our desires and our weaknesses, but he can attack any, especially yeah. when we feel the most proud of yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Or of what we've been able to accomplish. And and he's a, you know, he's a, you know, the devil's a master planner. And he's he's not looking to trip you up in a small way. He's looking to create the most amount of, of devastation and harm that he can. He can't do anything to harm God. So he chooses to harm humans. And, um, and yeah, so. And when you say that's why a lot of the big, Christian leaders are under attack all the time and they fall to sin. And it's never just, you know, we think about these pastors who have given in to like cheating on their wives or some other scandal that they've been. And, you know, the crazy thing about the devil is he works one little, even back in the garden, he works one little piece at a time, right? He doesn't say here, eat the apple, right? He says, Hey, Adam, Eve, God didn't really say, did he say all the trees except this one? And they're like, Oh, yeah, he did. And they're like, well, surely you wouldn't die, right? Just surely you wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? And that's how he gets us. Yeah. Certainly you wouldn't be that big of a deal to look at that or to think about those things or to text her back or to talk to her yeah. or to kiss her or, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's always one little inch at a time. It's never this grandiose, I just fell today. He woke up today and decided that I'm going to make this huge mistake. Um, I well, yeah, since we're on uh, temptation, can I ask you guys, how do you guys, like, get over temptation and don't let it win? Well, I would love to tell you young guys that temptation will go away, but it never will. Yeah. Um, and I think the more you feel like you've beat temptation, the more temptation there is. And in my experience, the more that you're doing God's work, the more temptation will be thrown at you, for sure. Um, gosh, I've... I fight temptation with prayer. I fight temptation with the knowledge of what he promises. I fight temptation with alone time with God. I fight temptation with, I always, I always think of it this way. And I didn't think this when I was younger because I think before God, we're really quick to make excuses. Like, oh, I only fell to that sin because these three factors happened or, you know, I was in this situation. Anybody else would have done this, but I always think of like, God always gives us a way out. And when I'm in that temptation, I'm like, God, I don't see it. Like I'd love to yell and scream and cuss right now because I'm so angry, but I know there's a way out. I know there's something I can do. I know there's something I can say. I know there's some way I can get out of this because you're never going to get me in a situation um, that I can't get out of. And again, I, you know, some people misquote that whole, I can do all things through Christ. No, you can do all things Christly through him that gives you strength. And there's a way to handle the situation the way that Jesus would handle the situation. And it's like, okay, I don't see it right now. <laughs> like, please, you know, and it's at times when you're, especially when you're interacting with somebody else and you're tempted to say something that could be a sin or react in a way that could be a sin. You just literally have to take a minute and say, like, I can't talk right now. And even like I this happens to me in my relationships with my kids, especially, but also with my spouse. It's like 
I'm really mad right now. I just need to take a minute because I'll say some something or do something that I'm going to regret. So just give me a minute. And in that minute, it's not, hey, I'm just going to walk away from the situation. It's like, okay, God, like <laughs> help. I know that I'm in this situation for a reason. And I know that there's a way that I can do this correctly. So please show me what that way is. Yeah, that's great. I think, you know, I, I always go back to when Jesus was talking with his disciples and he said, you know, if you love me, you will obey me. And I think intimacy with Jesus is the best protection available for temptation. And, you know, and the Bible has a lot to say about the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. Uh, the fear of God is humility. And I think just just having that that reverence for God and and Jesus meant that when he said, if I love him, I will obey him and and knowing his word and knowing like we talked when we were we were offline that the wages of sin is death and that that if if we sin, sure, there's forgiveness available through the blood of Jesus, yet the consequences they're coming. And so I think the more madly in love we are with Jesus Christ, then the more concerned we will be about letting him down. And I think I just, I always want to be able to see his face and see him smiling and, and agreeing with me. Um, not that I want him to approve of me when I'm wrong, but just, just I, I love the intimacy and like like when Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Just delighting, enjoying Jesus. There's there is no greater joy. And so as we get close with Jesus and we we love on him and we sing to him and we pray, it's just um, sin and temptation. They just lose their their luster. They lose their their flash. And, and I think, yeah, I would say intimacy with Jesus is the greatest um, protection from temptation. So you kind of spoke on the turning point in your life when you kind of walked on the righteous path with the Lord when you were at that funeral. But Mr. Walker, when was the time when you kind of made that 180 <clears throat> flip? Mine was if, if Jason's wife was 179, mine was 20 <laughs> and then it was another 20 and yeah. then it was another 20 and then it was another 20. I think he just slowly revealed to me the things in my life. Like, I think the way that he came at me was gradually showing me the joys that I was looking for were in him, not in the other stuff around me. And so, you know, I'd be at church and I'd be singing a song and I'm like, wow, you know, this music is way better than Biggie or Tupac or the trap music, as you guys call it, that I'm listening to now, like it has a purpose yeah. and I cry to this and, you know, no offense to B.I.G. or Tupac, no beat they've ever dropped has ever gotten me to cry. Like I've never, never cried. I even as nostalgic as I get hearing some of the songs, like a song can hit you in a way because the Christian music is based on scripture yeah. and the words that they're singing are words that Jesus spoke or, or God's. Yeah. Like they have a eternal impact. And so like during that stretch of my life, I, I just literally took a pledge for a whole year just to listen to only Christian music and it changed my life piece by piece. And as I, you know, as we went through different sermon series and we went through different things, 
I just started to look at different parts of my life. Like, yeah, that's not right. Like, I know that I'm not doing that right. And here's how I need to do it. So where Jason was like attacking the Bible and getting all of his answers, I don't know what made me more of a um, passive kind of acceptor of Jesus, but like listening to other people, listening to songs, like gradually changing one piece at a time. I wish I had that like 180, like I'm getting rid of that. And get, like it took me forever. And I'm still daily. There are still things where I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have been saying that, or I probably shouldn't have done it that way. Like, I know that this is the right way to do it, but I don't think about it. You know, I didn't have that eternal perspective then. I had the earthly cultural perspective. I was so, and I still am very much so because of, I think in order to effectively teach some of the freshmen here, like I know the culture and I know the, you know, I know no cap and I know all that stuff. Like I know your lingo and your language, but sometimes still like culture can catch me like, yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have watched that. Or I shouldn't be talking about that stuff the way that I do. Yeah. So it's definitely, you know, definitely a work and it's definitely got a lot of work. I've definitely got a lot of work and he's still doing a lot of work on me. So. Yeah. I think that brings up a great point that there's really not too many born again experiences that, that are identical. And for some people it takes it maybe the first time they hear the gospel, they're like, Oh my gosh, that's true. Yes, Jesus. And then there's other people. It takes years, decades, um, 50, 60, 80 years. And, and I think, uh, and I've heard people say before that um, you need to know the exact time and date when you became born again. And, and, and I'm like, well, I don't know mine. And I think that first month, I probably asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior six or seven times a day for about a month until I had enough Bible in me. I'd read, you know, I'd read a couple hundred pages and I was like, oh, OK, that's that's official. I don't I don't need to keep bringing that up. You you've got me. I, I am yours. And uh, and I, I thought of something else going back to our last question in um, in Joel chapter two, when Joel says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. And, um, and then of course, Peter quotes that in Acts two, and then Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 10. And that's a really big deal when temptation is, is heavy. If, if the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered, then that probably means whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. Yeah. So whatever the issue is, you know, get on your knees and say, Jesus, you you paid for this i'm sick of it deliver me from blank um what whatever that thing is but um you know in isaiah chapter 55 when god says that his word never returns to him empty or void but it always accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it so that in my mind is like wow if if the bible says something and it can't return to God void, then I need to honor it and just keep trusting and keep obeying until my surroundings, my circumstances, my attitude match the Bible. Whenever my circumstances or my attitude or my life don't match the Bible, the Bible's correct and, and something else is off. I think that's an amazing thing about God is that he can get to us in many different ways, right? Because everybody needs a little bit different way. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the way I feel about churches. And I don't know how you feel about churches. Like we always, uh, it, Christians get in this stupid battle of, 
it's got to be this type of music or oh. it's got to be this type of service or we yeah. have to have this type of lights. And then other people are on the other side saying, I can't believe they're using this type of music. I can't believe they're using all of these lights. I can't believe they're using drums. And I just want to say like, like, are you putting limits on what God can do and how he can reach people yeah. and the impact that he can have, whether it's a small old traditional church that sings hymns or, you know, a huge church that has the fog right on the yeah. stage and laser lights and, you know, whatever it is that God can use to get to it, he's going to use. Like, it's just for us to say, like, it's got to be this amazing 180 or it has to be slow or it has to be this. I think we're just limiting God in the way that he can work. Yeah. So what barriers did both of you face? Because, Jason, you talked about how yours was more of a 180 turn and you talked about how yours is more of a gradual turn. But I'm sure both of you guys face certain mental barriers and uh Mine was, mine, was me. mine was me 100%. Like it wasn't somebody around me telling me like, I can't believe you're, you know, you're being a Christian. I was a very independent person. So I kind of lived the way I wanted to live my life. It was, well, I don't want to do that. Like, yeah. well, what do I have to do now? Like I have to start living by this way. I have to pray. I have to tithe. I have to volunteer. I have to serve. Like I don't have time. I don't want to give up my money. I work hard for my money. 10%. Like I work hard for my, I'm not giving up. You know, how much 10% of $60,000 a year is like, I'm not giving that up. Like I was, it was all me and my grip on, you know, raised as from a kid valuing one thing and then something totally countercultural, this upside down kingdom of, yeah, you think that's important. It's not. Yeah. You think that's important. It's not. Yeah, you think that's important. It's not. And I like still there are times where I'm like, am I doing that? Should I? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, what am I doing? What am I doing? Like, why am I even questioning that and i think that like you know a lot of people ask me like how can you as a science teacher believe in god well first of all everything that science has ever discovered this is all created like literally the conservation of mass states that mass cannot be created or destroyed so since we cannot create or destroy it then who did right because it's all always been here so if we can't create it because we've never been able to create it somebody did right yeah, yeah. it didn't get here by accident so like I always get these questions like, well, how can you believe or how can you do this? And I wish I could tell you that I've never questioned God. I question God all the time. And I think that's where faith comes in because there's still some things that I'm not 1000%. But I think if we totally, like if Jesus were to appear right here in front of me and you and everybody else, there would still be a handful of people that would say, well, let me put my finger through the holes, right? Yeah. There would still be Thomas who would say, well, I'm not believing that Jesus came back until now, guys, this was not like radically like 2000 years ago when Christ came back, it was a pretty known fact. Like nobody yeah. doubted it. It's only throughout hundreds of years where it's like, oh, you believe that old tale or you believe that actually happened. More people saw Jesus come back after he was crucified than can account for Alexander the Great. And yet we read about him in history books and, and we have knowledge of him and we just know that it's true. But this Jesus guy, did he really? I don't know. Like, not till I put my hand through. So I think all the time, like, what if he could just reveal himself to me in this way? Could I totally believe? And there's still going to be people that are like, nah, that wasn't, that wasn't real. They staged that. That wasn't. And Jason, I know you've talked about healing and stuff that you've seen where people just want to deny that and say it's some other thing acting because they don't want to deal with the truth of what that means. Again, we're yeah. back to, yeah. well, if that's true and Jesus really is who he says it is, that means I got to like be a better person. <laughs> I got to think about others and I got to do things differently. That's what that means. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think the barriers for me would just be my own selfishness and the and the amount of success that I had at such a young age, because my wife and I came from, you know, very um, humble blue collar backgrounds, and you know, by age twenty five, had a, a shocking house in the middle of the woods on ten acres and boats and cars and vacations, and we had worked from nothing to. Uh, achieving tremendous success and it just it was in the midst of that success and and I'm you know I meet people who they didn't cry out for God until they hit rock bottom but we couldn't have been any more successful we were at the at the top of of every game there was and we just once we heard the gospel at that funeral it was that that was it that was just the the moment where wait a minute, this, this, none of this success stuff compares to, to Jesus. So after you received Christ, what changes did you see in your life? In, in my case, it, like I said earlier, it was 180 degrees. It was everything. I went from being annoyed by people to, um, you know, crying on their behalf and um, loving others. And, you know, it wasn't long after we met Jesus that we realized, wait a minute, um, this big house in the middle of the woods is too expensive. How are we going to um, feed the poor, clothe the naked, you know, sir, you know, and help out widows and tithe? And how are we going to be generous? And so shortly after we met Jesus, we got to work on um, selling, selling the big house and buying a house half the value. So um, the changes in my life were extreme. I mean, like the the people that, you know, all my friends, all my loved ones, they were like, what, what happened? I mean, it, it was definitely a 180. And, you know, I remember having um, violent metal tickets already purchased and just uh, telling my friends, you know, I'd pay for it, but I'm not going. And just, and it was a no brainer. It was, uh, yeah, it just, just everything about everything changed. Uh, yeah. I would say there was nothing about my life eventually that didn't change. And I would say what was amazing about the subtle change aspect is every time I, so I would say, well, I can't give up. And I didn't tithe 10% at first. I was like, I can't give up 10%. That's this. And here are our bills and we would never make it right. Cause you know, this is probably good for you, you to hear, but no matter how much you make, you live up to that. If you don't plan it, if you don't budget it, you're going to live because before I'm still not making what I was 15 years ago and we still make it work better than we ever did. And we tithe more. So I would say like, oh, OK, I've got to tithe 10. Um, one day, my our pastor said, you know what? If you never tithe before, start at one, give one percent. And I was like, one percent. OK, I can do that. You would be amazed. Like this is a crazy story and it's not I'm not embellishing it at all so i was in college at the time and i could not afford college like i was on my own i'd lived on my own since i was 17. and so i decided that he said do one percent i was like okay god i'll give one percent well i gave one percent and the next week uh the dean at ohio state mansfield called me into the office and said hey you've gotten really good grades the first uh semester you're doing a great job We've got this, we've got this donor who wants somebody that either went to Madison or Mansfield Senior High. Sorry, I went to Senior High. 
that wants to give the scholarship away to take care of any other things that your other stuff doesn't take care of. The next week I gave 1% and God gave me $3,000. I gave 1%. And you know, I went to the pastor about this and he was like, you can't outgive God. Like you're not the, the more you try to give and the more you try to out, he tells you in the Bible, test me on this, test me. And you know, everything with my life. So now that I tie 10%, I don't feel it. I don't think about it. Something comes up. Uh, we do this thing for save the storks where they try to get women to, um, they give women an ultrasound to see the baby as they're going into an abortion clinic and they see these, they see this human inside of them and they change their mind. They don't get the abortion That's and that comes up. And before I'd be like, I don't have $45 a month to give to that. And I'm like, it's nothing, $45 a month to yeah. save lives. So like, not just money aspect, but like, I think to myself, I can't volunteer. You know how busy my schedule is? Like, I don't have time to do that. And every time I volunteer, sir, he blesses me more than I ever could imagine. Like sometimes, you know, true, true statement. I'm still human. I go, oh, I got to do that Saturday night. I don't really want to do that. I don't want to go feed at the neighborhood meal. And then something happens there. I'm like, where else would I rather be than yeah. feeding God's people? Like what a dummy that I was so selfish with two hours of my time that I didn't want to give back to the community. So he always like piece by piece by piece. He, he takes junk that you give up and he gives you something better. I always liken it to like, I take my kids to their favorite restaurant and this is a sad topic because Cheddar's is about to close, <laughs> but I take them to their favorite restaurant. It would be like, Hey guys, we're going to Cheddar's and my son going on the way. Hey, can we stop at McDonald's real quick? I'd rather have that instead. Like, we stop and settle for junk because it's easy, it's convenient, it's what we know. When God has something better always to give us, with if we replace the things of this world with things of the Bible, He's going to give us better. Like all, every time, He's never let me down on that ever. All right. So, so since both of you guys are pastors, and um, this is like a hot topic all over, everywhere, how do you deal with conflict in the church? Yeah, I think, um, you know, thankfully, the Bible has has laid that out for us. I believe it's is it Matthew chapter 18 or chapter 16 when Jesus, you know, lays that out about if, if someone has wronged you, then you go to them privately and try to work the matter out. And then if that doesn't work, then you take someone else with you from the church and try and work it out. And then um, it still doesn't work. Then you bring them before the whole church. But I've been a youth pastor and I was also a senior pastor for three and a half years. And, you know, it doesn't take you long to find out that Satan hates the bride of Christ. I mean, the church is Jesus bride. Satan hates it. He's working overtime. He's very sneaky. And and I think, you know, the the conflicts are there because you know we have uh, flesh we have this lower nature and we also have um the enemy you know and and if we believe um in angels then we also have to believe in demons and and satan sends out you know his representatives the ephesians 6 the uh, principalities the powers the spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places you know all of those ephesians 6 creatures are trying to destroy the church. And so I think in, in terms of conflict, you know, to handle it with as much as much love as as possible. And uh and and love sometimes love looks 
uh, it looks different depending on on the setting. And, you know, sometimes emergency surgery doesn't look loving. It looks messy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, sending your only son to be crucified on a cross doesn't look very loving until you understand that that was the only way to get us back into relationship with God. So church conflict, um, it's, it's not rare. And, and offline, we were talking we were talking before the podcast began, Mr. Walker and I, just about the unique challenges that senior pastors face. And there's just, I don't know what else to compare it to. I'm, I remember, you know, multiple times when I was uh, acting as, as assistant fire chief, multiple times being responsible for the fire and EMS protection of the entire city and major highways. And the pressure from that wasn't even like a, a thousandth of a percent of the same pressure of being a senior pastor. And uh, so I think with the conflict, um, get your Bibles out, handle it that way. First um, Corinthians chapter 13 isn't just for weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not proud. It is not rude. It doesn't boast. Love never fails. You know, so I think, uh, yeah, conflict is there and and I think it's a way that God can grow us because he's the one who's working out all things together for the good of those who love him. And sometimes that iron sharpening iron aspect is, is for God to, to work something out of us. And, uh, and I think, you know, church conflicts are, you know, it's not going away, but it is something that those of us in leadership roles, we need to steward that with wisdom and grace and and the Holy Spirit's guidance. But it's not going anywhere. But, um, you know, we need to remind ourselves Jesus is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. And so our role as Jesus followers, whether we're in leadership or not, is is to get on board with that pure, spotless bride. And, and as time goes on, you know, in Romans chapter eight, when Paul says that Jesus was to be the firstborn of many brethren and, and God takes that really seriously. Jesus didn't come to earth only to die on the cross for our sins. He's our example. He's the model that that's what we do. He actually said, when I go away, you're going to do greater things because I'm going away and I'm going to send the counselor, the comforter. And he'll be in you. And so uh, that's a really big deal. And so if you think of, you know, Acts chapter 10, when Peter says, you've heard of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And, and that's, that's our role. We need to, to imitate Jesus. If we have the mind of Christ, then that means we not only we're not only to believe in Jesus, we're to believe like Jesus and we're to go imitate what he did. If he told us these signs will follow those who believe in my name, they'll drive out demons in my name. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. If he said that, then that's what we should be doing. And and if, and of course, that's opposed by the Ephesians six creatures. But um, yeah, conflict is an inevitable but um, I think approaching those matters with humility and love. And, um, and I think 
You know, we need to be bold and courageous um, when God's telling us to. And um, fear of man is a huge snare. And it's not, I'm not just quoting the verse. I, if the fear of man is destroying churches, the fear of man is huge. You know, when Paul confronted Peter, um, that was after Acts chapter two. Peter was like super apostle. And, and Paul was like, wait a minute, this guy's sinning. And, uh, and apparently he didn't go to him privately. He's like, this is a public sin. So, hey, Peter, we're going we're gonna to have to straighten this out. So I think, you know, we have to pray for courage and boldness uh, and speak up the way God's wanting us to. And, uh, and I don't know why I had this thought, but I think fasting is, is a really, really big deal because Jesus said when you pray and when you fast, there's no ifs. I mean, you can break it down, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, you can tear it apart. And Jesus said, when you fast. And I think that's huge. I think Christians, we are not fasting the way that we should be. And I don't mean, I'm not religious. I don't freak out if, if I go a seven day period without 24 hours of water only extra prayer. I don't freak out about it but I feel odd in a good way. And I think fasting, if, if church leadership fasts together and prays together, I think a lot of that conflict would self-resolve. Well, I would say, <clears throat> I mean, the church is a family and what family doesn't have conflict? And I would even say, you know, I agree with everything Jason said. I would even say if your church doesn't have conflict, you're probably not doing it right. Yeah. If if a church isn't getting opposed, if views aren't getting opposed, if everything's hunky dory, you're probably not making the impact that God wants you to because it's supposed to be messy. You're supposed to offend people. People are supposed to be upset. You're supposed to confront sin for what it is. It can get ugly. Um, I think when people get like ticky tack and they start, you know, again, as, as a stylistic point, is the music too loud? Do we have too many drums? Why do we have so many instruments? Why are we singing that song? You know, I, I, I'll never forget the whole uh, reckless love ordeal that, that came about, that God's love could never be reckless, but it was an image. And, you know, people just look for a reason to say, ah, that's ridiculous. Nobody can sing that song. Why would they ever say that? It's not biblical. We're done. And then you cause all this argument. And you're like, why are we arguing over this? It's, it's artistic. There are things in the Bible that are done and said artistically that weren't meant to be literal. And it helps paint the image of God came after me even when I didn't deserve it. And so I think if there's no conflict, you're not doing it right. But more than anything else, like Jason said, it's love. Like over, like love covers a multitude of sin, right? Above all else, love. Like over and over and over and over, we, we tend to forget that. Like, you know, I don't know who reads the Bible and says, oh, condemn, 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 condemn. Oh, the Bible says, don't forgive, don't forgive, don't forgive. No, it says love, 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 love. And, you know, it's funny that we have all these self-help books that are, you know, designed to read, to help us. And if you read any good ones that have been successful, they all have the same principles that are in the Bible. Any successful self-help book follows the principles of what you should do in the Bible. It's like, whoa, that's a revelation. It says that in the Bible. Like somebody comes and speaks and goes, yeah, that's in the Bible. Yep, that's in the Bible. Yep, that's in the Bible. And if people would just read the best self-help book of all time, the Bible, they would understand life and themselves 
so much better and they can make so much more of an impact than relying on other people who are just sub quoting the Bible. I mean, there are books that have been written that were just mirroring the Bible and people were more uh, open to reading them because it didn't say the Bible, but it's the same thing that's been true for years. Well, you guys gave some pretty good answers. Um, so before we close out, uh, do you guys want to say anything to whoever may be listening? I would say overdose on Jesus. I, you know, choose Jesus. Just surrender more than you think you can. Give more than you think you can. Don't don't stop giving. And yeah, I I just yeah, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and you will be your zeal for Jesus will be rewarded uh, by him. So, yeah. And I would say if you have any questions, reach out to uh, Jaden and Dylan and uh, they can get a hold of Mr. Walker and I through email or, or something like that. I would say don't give up. Uh, I, you know, I think the, so I think one of the problems that our culture is promoting right now is instantaneous uh, gratification. gratification. Like I can't watch something. I, I need to watch a reel that's eight seconds long. Like, what do you mean? I'm listening to a 45 minute podcast. Right yeah. Now, right. Like, and I think the same microcosm of that is translated to Christianity. And I think there are a lot of kids that want to come to Christ or do come to Christ and they hear either they hear what they want to hear or there's a lot of bad messages out there that oh once you have jesus life gets easier i've never said that jason would never say oh, that gosh no, anybody who no. knows would never no. say that and so like i think people get discouraged right away when they get baptized or when they accept god for the first time or when they start praying that you're going to meet a lot of obstacles and that's the way it is you know jesus said himself if I faced this level of ridicule and condemnation and I'm on a cross dying for you, what more do you think you're like, why do you think yeah. that you wouldn't face that same thing? Exactly. So when you come to know Christ, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard probably for the rest of your life, right? The, the, the path to heaven is narrow, but the gate is wide open for those who, you know, sin and want to keep doing their life. Right. And so I would just say, don't expect it to be easy, but it's all worth it. And we think, we live so today we live so tomorrow we live so the next 50 years and i like to use the illustration in class of our eternity is like a rope and the rope just goes all the way around the world and people today live for two inches of that eternal rope and they're worried about money and fame and success and comfort right and all the things that they want now in this tiny little portion of their life and and despite the rest of eternity like you're doing things that are going to matter for eternity. So when you're when you have the choice between two options, am I doing this for now or am I doing it for eternity? Always pick eternity, and it's going to be the hard choice sometimes, and not to give up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, giving your life to Jesus doesn't make it easier; it makes it better. Yeah. And and those those are two very different words. Like you know that your life is better, but but you would you would not say that your life got easier. So. All right. Sweet. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank yeah. You thank you. Thank you.